The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and both were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. The resurrection is a new beginning. That's what John wants to say to us this morning in this text, and that's kind of the big idea of the sermon this morning. The resurrection is a new beginning. Um, If I haven't met you yet, glad you're here. My name is Bob. I'm the lead pastor here at Quorum Deo, and it's a privilege to spend this Easter Sunday with you. Way to pack out the room. You guys are doing a really good job maximizing the space we have. And I understand there's some people downstairs as well. So hey to y'all. And I know people watching online and all that stuff. So uh, welcome. Happy Easter. It's really fun to be here with you, whether this is normally your church and you're normally in this room or whether you're a guest with us this morning. uh, I'm really glad you're here. Um, I was teasing my friend Nikki. She was in the first service and she had told me earlier this week, hey, so this is kind of like Super Bowl week for you. And I was like, thanks for the pressure. Appreciate that. And so I got to do this three times today. And so you guys are right in the middle. So you should, in the bell curve, at least it's going to be a decent sermon, all right? So it might get better, but you know, 
Um, chances are I didn't preach the best sermon at 9 a.m. and we're going to go downhill from there. So you guys picked a good, safe uh, service to come to of the three that we have this morning. Um, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John here at Quorumdale, and today we come to chapter 20, which is uh, John's account of the resurrection. I had somebody say to me last week, hey, so is it just random that we ended up at the resurrection? No, I planned it that way, you guys. I planned it that way. Um, so we come to chapter 20, which is John's account of Jesus' resurrection. And as you probably know, there are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each writer uh, tells us of the resurrection of Jesus. Each sort of puts their own authorial spin on it. And what I want you to remember is that it's important to the biblical writers, not just that we understand that Jesus rose from the dead, but also that we understand what does that mean? So what? Well, what does that mean about the world and about grace and about God and about us? What, what does the resurrection mean? So it's important to the writers not just to tell us that the resurrection happened, but also to help us make sense of it. All human beings, all of us, are meaning makers, right? We're always trying to take the data of our world and fit it together into a coherent narrative to say, okay, this is what happened to me, or here's my experience, or here's what's going on in the world. How do we make sense of that? That's how we just naturally operate. And the same is true with the resurrection. It's not just important this morning that you know that Jesus rose from the dead, though that is good news. It's also important that you understand what do we do with that? How do we make sense of it? Well, what John wants you to understand is that the resurrection is a new beginning. And in the way that John particularly tells the story, it's clear that this is one of the themes he wants us to grasp. The resurrection is a new beginning. It's a new beginning for the world. It's a new beginning for the disciples. And it's a new beginning for you me. So let's take a look at John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, if you're using one of the Bibles under the seat in this room, uh, you'll find it on page 852. And um, you'll also see the slides on the screen if you want to follow along that way. John chapter 20, verse 1, the resurrection is a new beginning, first of all, for the world. Let's read the text. John 20, verse 1, now on the first day of the week, don't move past that too fast. The first day of the week is, after all, kind of a little new beginning, isn't it? I mean, you're all going to get up tomorrow and you're going to go to work or you're going to go to school or you're going to go about whatever a normal Monday looks like for you. And in some sense, it's going to be like every Monday this month and every Monday this year. But in another sense, it's new, right? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow yet. There's new things that are going to be asked of you and new things that are required of you. Every week of our lives is kind of a little new beginning. And John wants you to recognize the first thing you need to know about the resurrection of Jesus is that it took place on the first day of the week. Do you know what one of the strongest arguments for the historicity of Jesus' resurrection is? One of the strongest arguments that this actually happened is the fact that shortly after it happened, little communities of Jewish Christians all throughout the Roman Empire began meeting together to read the word of God and to share a meal and to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And without exception, they all met on Sunday, the first day of the week. That might not seem dramatic to you because in our culture, Sunday is sort of a day when people traditionally have gone to church. But keep in mind that all of Jesus' early disciples were Jewish. And to the Jewish people, the sacred day, the holy day, the day set apart for the worship of God was the Sabbath, Saturday. The last day of the week. 
I mean, keep in mind that when we read the account of Jesus' crucifixion, right, the Jewish leaders don't mind condemning Jesus to death. They don't mind asking Pilate to hang him on the cross. They just want to be sure that he's off the cross by the end of the Sabbath so it doesn't ruin the Sabbath observance. That's how scrupulous they are about the importance of Sabbath day worship. And yet throughout the Roman Empire, suddenly after Jesus rose from dead, there's all these little communities of Christians gathering together on the first day of the week. Keep in mind, that was not the weekend. They didn't get the day off from work. It wasn't like the end of a week or the beginning of a new week. It was a day in the calendar that they all made sacrifices to worship Jesus on. Why? Because the resurrection happened on the first day of the week. And they understood this is an event that changes History. This changes even the day on which we would gather to worship. So, it's the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. I'm trying to help you attend not just to the story John is telling, but to the way that he is telling it. He's not just telling you here the time of day. Keep in mind that in chapter 1, as John begins his gospel... He begins it with these words, in the beginning was the word. And intentionally, he's trying to cast your mind back to Genesis chapter 1, which begins with the same phrase, in the beginning. Genesis 1 verse 2 says this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth. So in the beginning, it was dark. And then God said, let there be light. And in this new beginning that John is telling us about, it is dark, but very soon it will be light. Keep in mind also that the story of Genesis begins with a man and a woman in a garden. And the story John is telling us of the resurrection is a man and a woman in a garden. This is not accidental. John is telling us very astutely, very artistically, and very cleverly that this is a new beginning for the world. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of a new creation. Things are starting over again. This is how the New Testament writers came to believe that Jesus is the second Adam. The book of Romans states this explicitly, that just as there was the first Adam who by his disobedience cast all of humanity into sin, Jesus has come as the second Adam who by his obedience is inaugurating a new humanity. And just like all of us by birth are caught up in the old humanity under Adam, all of us by new birth are invited into the new humanity that begins with Jesus and with his resurrection. The good news of the gospel is not that God is going to take us out of this world. The good news of the gospel is that God is coming to renew this world. And the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of that renewal. The resurrection of Jesus means the kingdom of God has now come and the new creation has now begun. And so nothing from this point forward is quite the same. This is why it matters to John, by the way, that Jesus rose bodily. This is why in his account... Everything is so granular and so material. He tells us about the empty tomb, the rolled away stone, the rolled up grave clothes, the disciples running. Everything is very tangible and earthy because John is telling you this is the beginning of new creation. The resurrection is a new beginning for the world. John very much wants you to understand that just as in the beginning it was dark and then God said, let there be light. That in this new beginning, in the darkness of a new day, of a new week, Jesus got up out of the grave and that began a whole new 
world. The resurrection is a new beginning for the world. Notice second, though, that the resurrection is a new beginning for the disciples. So Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb first. She comes back and tells the disciples that Jesus' body is gone. And let's pick up the story. In verse 6, Peter and the other disciple, whoever that is, go running to the tomb. It's probably John. It's his sort of oblique way of referring to himself. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the term first also went in and he saw and believed. I want you to think about what a weird statement that is. Here's why it should strike you as weird. Because these are disciples. They've already believed in Jesus. In fact, they've left things behind to follow Jesus. Back in John 6, his disciples professed together, we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So how is his belief in this moment different from his belief before this moment? Well, the text goes on to tell us in verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. In other words, the 12 disciples had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the one promised in the Old Testament. What they hadn't yet understood was that the Messiah would die and rise from the dead. Now, Jesus has told them this. He's been hinting at this and talking about this and proclaiming this. But because they are so steeped in a certain way of thinking, they hadn't understood that he must rise from the dead. And so John is telling you that when he walked into the empty tomb, a light bulb went off for him. He had to rethink everything he had previously thought about God. His whole understanding of the scriptures had to change. I mean, think of how often John has mentioned in his gospel that Jesus said something or did something and the disciples didn't understand at that moment. But then he often says, but then after the resurrection, we understood. What he's saying is the resurrection was a new beginning for the disciples. It reshaped everything they had previously understood. It turned their world upside down. It reshaped all of their assumptions. Some of you can relate to experiences kind of like this. You maybe have had some moment in your life where new facts came to the table. It sort of changed the story and you had to assimilate everything into that new story, right? A few years ago, my wife Lee and I were sitting on the back deck with our neighbors, a couple in their 60s, and the woman said, I have to tell you guys what happened this week. And she began to tell us this story of what, was, what had been the most dramatic week in her life. Turns out when she was 18, she had given birth to a baby boy and had given him up for adoption. She went on to get married in her 20s, to have three children with her husband. Then her husband had passed away, and so she was now married to a second husband. She had never told her husband or her kids what had happened when she was 18. Well, you can probably guess what happened. Some 40-something-year-old guy in Chicago messaged her on Facebook and said, hey, I've been doing some genetic testing, and this might be weird, but I think you're my biological mom. Well, suddenly, it's a new beginning for the whole family, right? The family story has to get reinterpreted in light of this new information. All the kids had to sort of 
fit this into their understanding and everybody sort of had to make sense of, okay, what's the story we've been living and what's the new story that now these new facts have to begin to reshape? That's the kind of thing that's happening for the disciples. They thought they understood who Jesus was, but at the moment they walk into the empty tomb, they realize we got to rethink the whole story. Like all of our assumptions have been wrong. All the things we've thought need to get rethought. In a sense, you could say it this way, their discipleship starts over at this moment. What they thought it was to be a disciple of Jesus was to be some Jewish people following a Jewish rabbi. Now they're having to realize this is the son of God who just rose from the dead. And that sort of is a different kind of thing. It's going to mean some different things for our lives. The resurrection is a new beginning, not just for the world, but for the disciples. And finally, the resurrection is a new beginning for you. See, John wants you to understand that what happened for him when he walked into the empty tomb is the same thing that needs to happen for you and for me. The resurrection is both something that happened in history and something that can change your life. Your past does not determine your future. Who you have been to this point does not define who you will be from this day forward. The resurrection is a new beginning for you. Look at the very end of chapter 20, John 20, verse 30. John writes this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want you to just hear John addressing you personally. As the writer, he's now stepping out of, let me tell you the story of all that happened in Jesus' life and death. And he's saying, hey, I'm writing this for you. I'm writing this because I want it to do something in you. I want something to happen in you. The most tragic mistake people make when it comes to the resurrection is to hear about the resurrection of Jesus and to sort of leave it out here as a, as a fact of history, as a data point of the story of the world. But John is saying the resurrection is meant to do something in you. It's meant to move you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In other words, the resurrection vindicates everything Jesus has said about himself. If he rose from the dead, that confirms that he is both the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament hopes, and the Son of God, one who is divine. And that means he can change everything about you. That means this isn't just a story about something that happened a long time ago. This is a story about what God is doing in the actual world. And if God is at work in the world of your life and mine, that means God's power exists and is here to change your life and mine, even right now. But that kind of change doesn't happen automatically. Hold your finger in John 20 and flip over to the book of 2 Peter at the very end of the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3. You can find it on page 958 if you're using one of those little Bibles under your seat. Listen to what Peter says. He writes, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say... Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, 
all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. The temptation that every one of us faces is to believe that nothing really changes. That the world is the same as it's always been. That ever since things began way back in the beginning, everything has kind of always been the same, and there's no such thing as a new beginning. What Peter is describing is the cynicism that says nothing really ever changes. Life doesn't change. The world doesn't change. People don't change. Circumstances don't change. I can't change. And let's be honest, life gives us plenty of reasons for cynicism, doesn't it? I mean, we don't become cynical because it's just an interesting journey. We grow cynical because life can make us that way. Things happen in life that disappoint our expectations and that seem to say, man, the world is a hard place to live. Maybe you used to be full of joy and optimism about your prospects in life, but as time has gone on, you, you feel the walls closing in on you and life just hasn't turned out the way you planned. Or maybe you got married with a heart full of hope and high expectations, and now it feels like your marriage is dying. Or maybe you poured your life into loving and raising your kids, and now they're making life choices that fill you with grief and despair. Or maybe you've done your best to cultivate friendship and really build meaningful community, but now it seems like your relationships are kind of falling apart around you. Or maybe you thought you'd finally turned a corner emotionally and mentally in your well-being, but now it feels like you're right back again in the same old pit. We don't grow cynical because we want to. We grow cynical because life is hard. And because when we face the difficulties of life, it's real tempting to believe nothing really ever changes. And I think it can feel to us sometimes like there's no way out of cynicism. That once you've kind of seen through the optimism that people have and lived in reality and turned cynical, that there's no way out of that. But there is a way out. And Peter's telling you what it is. Here's what he wants you to see. Cynicism comes down to a denial of the resurrection. Cynicism says there's no such thing as a new beginning. And there wasn't on the first Easter either. The word scoffer used here in 2 Peter 3 is the same word used in the Gospels for the soldiers who mocked Jesus at his crucifixion. And when you and I say, even if we just say it in our internal dialogue, when we say, ever since the beginning, all things are just continuing the way they've always been, what we're really saying is, nothing changed on Easter Sunday. See, there are only two possible worlds you can live in. A world where the, re where the resurrection didn't happen, or a world where it did happen. And cynicism is choosing to live as though the resurrection didn't happen. And John is telling you, that's not the real world. The tomb was empty. The grave clothes were set aside. The real world 
is the world that began anew on the day Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is a new beginning for the world. It was a new beginning for the first disciples, and it can be a new beginning for you as well. These things are written, John says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Yes, eternal life in fellowship with God, but also life now. Life instead of the deadness and coldness of cynicism. Life that believes there really is such thing as a new beginning. The power of God really is at work in the world. Listen, I think there are a lot of us who need a new beginning this morning. Some of you who need a new beginning are non-Christians and you need the new beginning of coming for the first time to embrace Jesus Christ in faith and trust, of repenting of your sin and embracing the forgiveness Jesus offers. What a great moment this Easter Sunday to come to Jesus in faith. But listen, many of you are Christians who nevertheless need a new beginning, right? Because though you might believe in the resurrection in the sense that it's part of your creed, you profess it, the reality is there's some area of your life where you've just decided there's not hope in this area. There's no such thing as new life in this area. There's no new beginning here, so I might as well stop hoping. And wherever that place is in your life, John wants to say to you this morning, hey, that's the place where God wants to meet you. That's the place where you need life, where there's deadness or coldness or hardness or lifelessness in your soul that Jesus means to come and meet. And that just like Jesus crawled out of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, that same power, that same life can flow into your life. That's why John is writing. He's not just writing so you can believe in Jesus and know that you're going to heaven someday. He's writing so you can believe in Jesus and have life now. And no longer live with that mindset that says everything's kind of always the same. But rather live with a mindset that says the power of God really does go to work in this world. This world that we live in is the world where Jesus got up out of the grave. That is what's true. That is what is real. That is what God does in the world. And that's what God can do in your world. So I wonder if this morning we could be honest enough to come before God with the cynicism, the despair, the discouragement, the unfaith in your heart and in mine. If we could be honest enough to bring before God the places where we just know we've kind of given up hope. And if we might come to him in repentance and faith, asking him to give us a fresh sense of the power and purpose and beauty of resurrection life. So would you pray with me now? Let's bring our hearts before him. Jesus, thank you that you got up out of the grave. Thank you that the resurrection happened in time and space and history. Thank you that we can sit here this morning and say, Jesus rose from the dead, historically, bodily, 
But thank you also that John is reminding us that that means the world has begun again. That there really is such a thing as new life and new hope and refreshed joy and new optimism and renewed faith. And so we bring before you our cold, tired, dead hearts this morning. Bring to you all the places in our lives where we've just chosen to believe that nothing's really going to change. And we ask that you would meet us in our cynicism and in our despair. And like the disciples at the tomb, with a sense of coming to believe in a fresh way, that you'd meet us this morning. And that we would come to see and believe in the resurrection in a fresh way, in a new way. So Father, we open ourselves to you. We open our souls to your grace. And we ask, would you come and refresh us this morning with new life? And for those who are within the sound of my voice right now who have never come to Jesus in faith in the first place, would you let today be the day where your spirit invites them, draws them in to faith and trust in a resurrected Savior. We pray for our good and for your glory. Amen.